Yeah, welcome to Thursday's program. I made it. I nearly didn't make it, but I made it. Thanks be to Jeepers. How are you this afternoon? Are you well? It's five o'clock UK time. It's a Thursday's program. Me with you, the BBG, Richie Allen. For the next, I have no idea because it's just me today. I'm going to try and keep you entertained, informed and not so bored that you switch off for the next God knows how long. Welcome. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, I had one of those days today. I couldn't get motivated. It wasn't for the want of trying. I couldn't figure out what I was going to do or talk about. I couldn't get any audio that was in any way relevant. Everything was Ukraine and cost of living and windfall taxes on energy companies and party gate and I just couldn't get my head around any of it dear listener never once did I think of crying off because I wouldn't do that I said to myself what are you going to talk about today anyway I had a bit of a think and I thunk about a couple of things we can talk about you and me Reach me through richieallen.co.uk, my website, live comment. Please help me out today with some comments. Please keep your syntax, your grammar, your apostrophes and your commas. At least that of a fifth form child. Make an effort. Make it easy for me to read out your comments. This is filling, by the way. No, it isn't. It isn't. Yeah, I'm in fine, fine-ish form, but yeah, I just got fed up of it today. I had a dry, I had a good run at it today, which is, you know, there are days I don't have a good run at it when distractions pull me away from what I am doing. But today I had a good run at it, but I thought I'm just tired of it now. I don't want to talk about this or that or the other. And I'm in the business of analysing what is being broadcast on UK and world media and giving a different perspective on the information. That's pretty much what I do. It's very, very simple. But today I just thought, ah, Jesus, you know. But I've never in my life, ever, I have never pulled a sickie when I haven't been sick. It never crossed my mind. But um, yeah. How are you feeling about things? Tell me. I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm your sounding board today. Fire some things at me, we can chat. You know, the term lockstep has been around for some time, but I suppose we used it quite frequently. Did we use it frequently? We heard it frequently during the course of the last two and a bit years. Lockstep. I'm not going to even look up the Oxford Concise Dictionary definition of lockstep. My pikey, baldy, gammony... Pikey is an offensive term, by the way. But I've been called a pikey on more occasions than I care to remember, just because of my accent. Particularly back in the day when I didn't worry too much about the speed, the velocity with which I spoke. I used to speak very quickly until I learned that the person I was speaking to just couldn't make head or tail 
of what I was saying. Think Brad Pitt's character in Snatch. That was me. In fact, I at one time considered suing the producers of Snatch for stealing my my identity. But um, where was I going with that? No idea. So yeah, lockstep, <coughs> excuse me, the dictionary definition, right? So I suppose it is the, the not the reality, but um, lockstep. When a group or groups of people or organisations approach a problem or approach a solution in pretty much exactly the same way. Governments acting in lockstep during the COVID scamdemic. Why did every government, seemingly individual governments, sovereign nations, why did they do the pretty much the exact same things apart from um, maybe one or two exceptions? Lockstep, acting in lockstep, doing the same things, following the same steps. More than 190 countries. Here's a question. How could a hidden hand... How could a cabal, how could a bunch of globalists control the world and affect the policy decisions of the governments of 190 plus countries? That is a legitimate question. And it's one over the years, not during the COVID scam, I should say the pandemic scam. It's one that your mum, your dad, your mates, your sisters, your brothers would have asked you over the years because you... Are or have been inclined to read books by Jim Mars, by David Icke, to watch documentaries featuring people. I could name names all day long. So they would have asked you, your mum, your dad, your sisters, your brothers, how could it be possible for a small group of people to have so much control over the great majority of people, not just in England or in Ireland, but around the world. Give over, you mad thing is what would have been said about me. Richie is mad, eh? He's mad, Richie, isn't he? He's all right, like. But with his big conspiracy head in him, when he starts talking about that stuff, about a hidden hand, I just switch off or I change the subject. Little secret societies controlling the world, sure, it is mad. Richie. They would have patronised us. Patronised or patronised. It depends on where in the world you are at the moment. So... These days, you might say to your mum, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, cousin twice removed, you might say, why did every country in the world, bar one or two, fall into line regarding the scamdemic? You would say COVID. If every country had its own bespoke health policy, if each country had its own bespoke health policies, policies independently drawn up by the governments of those sovereign states, how? Tell me how it is they all did the same thing, locked people down, fined them, ruined their businesses, screwed up their children and coerced them into taking a job that uh, was rushed into existence at the speed of light and every possible corner was cut to get it to market. Nobody knows for sure if it's safe or not. Why did every country in the world do that at the same time? Now, your mate, your sister, your granny, your cousin, twice removed, will roll his eyes or her eyes and will say, because it's the right thing to do. Because they listen to the scientists, you mad tinfoil hat wearing bastard, yeah. Well, that isn't true, of course. They didn't listen to the scientists. Most scientists said, and I stand over what I'm about to say as 
not being conjectured, this is a fact. Most scientists said mild infection, it'll work its way through the population. There's nothing we can do about that. Now we can do, they said. That's COVID. Now, what about Ukraine? Apart from one or two exceptions, again, 190 countries united in sanctioning Russia. Lockstep. If these countries are independent sovereign nations with independent governments who are making independent policies, why have every one of them, has every one of them, acted in lockstep, goading the Russian government, sanctioning the Russian government and her people, sanctioning wealthy Russians overseas. It is an own goal. It is economic suicide. It is destroying Western countries. So why do it? Why the lockstep? That's the question. Who or what are the politicians of these governments listening to? Who or what? That's the question you'll never hear on talk radio. You'll never hear it, on, hear it on talk TV. You'll never hear people like James Melville. You'll never hear, what's that woman who wrote that book? She's always on Laura Dodsworth. You'll never hear some of these new heroes of the truth or industrial complex talking about these matters. Never. Why? Let me tell you about a, and I'm going to come back, I'm not picking on James Melville, who I don't know, he used to follow me on Twitter before I was banned from Twitter, uh, Laura Dodsworth, I don't know them either. But a lot of people like them are being elevated on social media as being some sort of resistance to the tyranny when they are not, or anything like it. Because they start, th th their starting point is from the point of view that government or democracy works. Democracy works. Democracy is the way out of the paradigm. That's what you get with these people. Mike Graham, Julia Hartley Brewer, Laura Dodsworth, James Melville in the UK, even Tucker Carlson in America. And we're going to hear some audio from Tucker in a few minutes' time. Their starting point is... Bad politicians, but democracy good. Democracy is the way out. You and I know it isn't. So they are gatekeepers. Consciously, no, they're not. Not consciously. But they are elevated as some sort of independent media, some sort of independent resistance to the legacy media, and they are promoted at the expense of the genuine independent media. Yeah, I'll say it, yours truly included in that. Maybe more on that a bit later on. Who are the politicians of the governments around the world listening to? Why are they acting in lockstep when it comes to COVID, when it comes to Ukraine? Let me tell you about a secret society called the Round Table, created by the Rockefeller and Rothschild dynasties in the late 19th century. Look it up. Cecil Rhodes. Look him up. Very important figure was the first head of the Round Table Secret Society. He created the Rhodes Scholarship. Look that up. That's very important. Now, for some listeners, they, this won't be new information, but it's a good refresher course. There will be people listening to this show for the first time or, or who began listening to this show recently. They'll know none of this, but it's very important. I'm going to explain how a small group of people can effect policies 
or the policies of so-called sovereign governments and sovereign nation states around the world. I'm going to explain it simply, suspiciously simply, I think one or two listeners might think. And you're right to be suspicious. Never take anything at face value. Check it out yourself. Do your own homework. So back in the late 19th century, the Round Table Secret Society was founded, created by, funded by Rockefeller, Rothschild dynasties and others, but they were the main protagonists. Cecil Rhodes, the first head, the Rhodes Scholarship, which brings students from around the world to Oxford University for two years. And some very notable people over the years who were very, very prominent in decision-making, geopolitical decision-making. Very prominent people have gone to Oxford on the Rhodes Scholarship. You'll obviously know Bill Clinton, George Stephanopoulos, Naomi Wolf, Susan Rice, Rachel Maddow. I could be here all day long. So by the the Roundtable Secret Society, um, in the early to mid-20th century, it established subsidiaries around the world. Now, I'm going to name them. They're important. By the way, don't panic. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. This is kind of like um, Clift, is it? Or Clift's? Notes, it's basic, but it's all true. So in the mid, in the early to mid-20th century, the Round Table Group, founded by Rockefeller Rothschild, began to establish subsidiaries around the world, namely the Club of Rome, the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. What are those organisations? The Council on Foreign Relations, we'll hear... More about that in a moment. Bilderberg, Club of Rome, Trilateral Commission, Royal Institute of International Affairs. Let me read from a book, Storytime on the Richie Allen Show. This is a very important book. <coughs> Excuse me. It was written by David Icke and published in 2013. The book is called The Perception, Deception, or It's All Bollocks, Yes, All of It. And this is the very first one out of the box. The very first one, and it's signed by the man himself, funnily enough. So let me read this for you now. I've just mentioned the names of these groups. I've mentioned the Club of, excuse me, the, 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 the Round Table Secret Society, and out of it, these other groups, the subsidiaries. I've never read this put as well as this. But even those involved with Bilderberg and these other Round Table groups are still overwhelmingly the oil rags of the conspiracy and not the engineers. These groups are used to bring together in it for me politicians, in it for me politicians, bankers, corporate leaders, military chiefs, journalists, in inverted commas, and intelligence personnel to agree consensus policies across national borders. They provide the platform for dark-suited prostitutes and arse-slickers to meet for their mutual benefit and to serve the interests of their betters. Round table groups are so-called think tanks. Watch all think tanks very closely because they are a major vehicle for manipulating government policy and instigating change in society that is not at all good for the population. Put Bilderberg attendees into a search engine and thanks to leaked information, you'll be able to see who has attended over the years. So that's an excellent paragraph. 
from the Perception Deception. The platform for dark-suited prostitutes and arse-lickers. To meet for the mutual benefit of their masters or their betters. Corporate leaders, bankers, politicians, military chiefs, basically controlled by these round-table groups. That's very important, that. It's very important when trying to explain to someone how the very few can control the very many. So the politicians have to be kept in line. And a very good question is, what's to stop politicians from ignoring the think tanks, the offshoots, because even the round table groups, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Institute of International Affairs, the Bilderberg Group, the Club of Rome, those massive think tanks have offshoots and subsidiaries around the world. So what's to stop politicians from getting together and saying, feck this for a game of soldiers, this is crazy, it's Orwellian, it's anti-human, it's anti-people, it's anti-nature, the policies are crazy. Well, they're kept in line. That's where the intelligence agencies come in, of course, and operators like Jeffrey Epstein. Now, that's very basic. That's a, a very general way of putting it. But there are many Jeffrey Epsteins. There are many people who work in offices in buildings where the addresses are not known. And they work morning, noon and night to keep politicians, um, civic leaders, I would say even entertainers, to keep them in line, to keep them from speaking up or acting out or questioning any of the stuff that we talk about on this programme. That's how it's done, you see. Now, back in 2017, do you know I haven't played this audio for several years? Richard Haas is the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, a very important roundtable subsidiary. Haas has been the president since July 2003. Before that, would you believe, he was director of policy planning for the United States Department of State. He also advised Colin Powell, uh, the secretary of state under George W. Bush. What a character. Here's a little bit of audio of this guy, Richard Haas, speaking to an audience of Goldman Sachs employees. Isn't it amazing? Back in 2017. Now, if I'd have known what was going to happen in 2020, this would have been even more interesting. Richard Haas, Goldman Sachs 2017, the President of the Council on Foreign Relations. We need to think about order very differently in the 21st century. And for the last few hundred years, order was pre premised on a very simple idea. Big idea, and an innovation when it came up in the 17th century. But it's the idea that this is a world of nation states, and that the organizing principle, the ordering principle, be so will be sovereignty. And essentially, states will not use force to change borders of other states, and states will respect the borders of others, not just physically, but they'll respect it in a larger sense. They won't be interfering. They'll essentially leave what happens within other states to the, that country alone. It's kind of live and let live, hands off reality. And that was a big idea when it came around in the, the mid-17th century. It was obviously violated over the next 300 plus years. And it M mostly by the United States of America, Richard. 
Yes, it was violated many times over the next 300 years. It was violated, this idea that nation states are sovereign and they shouldn't be invaded. It was violated, all right, by your own country. But it's still a good idea. Saddam Hussein violated it when he went into Kuwait. It was a costly decision. And again, Russia violated it uh, more recently. And we don't want to have a world where this is violated regularly. My argument in the book is that's all good. It's still necessary, but it's no longer sufficient. It's no longer sufficient to respect the sovereignty of nation states, respect the right of the rights even of governments elected by people within those sovereign states to do what's right by their people. That's no longer acceptable. Listen to this. It's no longer acceptable to allow country halfway around the world to get on with its own business in the interest of its own people. It's not good. Can't have it. Why not? That if you live in a world of globalization, to make a long story short, nothing stays local for long. If you have computer hackers on your territory, they can cause mischief or worse all over the world. If you have a poultry farm that has unsanitary conditions, certain types of diseases can break out. Human certain types of diseases, eh? Human transmission, it can cause a global pandemic. Wow. If uh, you're India and... Wow, that's worth hearing again, isn't it? This, of course, recorded in 2017. ...that has unsanitary conditions, certain types of diseases can break out. Human transmission, it can cause a global pandemic. And we can't allow each individual nation state to make its own decisions regarding how to deal with the alleged pandemic. If uh, you're India and you decide that your economy forces you to uh, generate a lot more electricity and the easiest way to do it is through coal, uh, this will have climate change consequences for everyone else uh, in the world in addition to whatever environmental consequences it may have for you, as we learned on... So you need more energy because you're a country of a billion people or near enough a billion people. You need energy. Your economy is growing. People are working. People need heat. They need... Not so much heat, but yeah, they need electricity. They need... Um, they need um, telecommunications uh, brought up to 21st century standards, internet and all of that. They need aircon. They want to live in more modern buildings. One of the ways they want to do that is to mine the trillion tons of coal they have underneath uh, the ground, in the ground, in the hills, but they can't do that because it has climate change consequences. 9-11, a few blocks from here, if our government uh, allows, or one way or another, through choice or weakness, terrorists operate out of its territory, those terrorists can cause havoc uh, halfway around the world. Halfway around the world. So a sovereign nation state might not be doing what we wanted to do in terms of tackling terrorism. So we can't tolerate that. We have to act. We have to do something. As we saw in Syria, if you have massive flows of refugees, it can destabilize other parts of the world, as we're now seeing in Europe. So my argument is simply, while we need to respect sovereignty and not, again, bring about a world where invasion is commonplace, we also now need to, to build on it. And my idea is that sovereign entities need to have the obligation to make sure that nothing is allowed to go on within their territorial limits that has adverse consequences for anybody else. In return, nothing will go on in anyone else's territorial limits that would have adverse consequences for us. And we, what we want to do is set up, uh, set up these rules, 
through consultations and negotiations. Here's what every sovereign entity, including the United States, is obligated to do. And uh, we'd agree to the set of behaviors and rules or norms. And then we'd also agree how do we uh, incentivize countries to live up to it? How do we give them capacity if they lack it to live up to it? How do we penalize or deals, deal with those who, who violate it? Wow. How do we penalize a nation state that acts, with, for in, acts in its own interests on behalf of its own people? We don't like it. We say that you've got unsanitary conditions there in your meat markets and you're a, pa- a pandemic risk. You're, you're, you're risking another pandemic. What do we do? You're, that country isn't listening, isn't doing what it's told. What, what should we do about it? A country isn't taking climate change seriously. It refuses to sign up to net zero by 2050. Well, we, we can't have that because that impacts the rest of the world. What do we do? See what's going on here. This is 2017. What he's talking about there, setting up rules and regulations and a system of norms. What's happening right now with the pandemic treaty, the World Health Organization. The World Economic Forum is meeting again this week in Davos, where uh, there is an abs- it's, it's pretty much chock full of this type of speak. How do we get consensus? How do we get a world acting as one to deal with the emergencies we face, more pandemics, more climate change. Does he have a name for this? And I call this World Order 2.0, but I think this is an operating system for, for a world in which globalization, not just great power conflict, is the principal dynamic. It's not wrong, it's just no longer adequate. We need to think about international relations in a way that's not 19th century geopolitics. We need to think about it in terms of 21st century. Richard Haas speaking in 2017. Um, that's effectively how it works and, and how it has worked. A group of organisations set up in the mid to early or the early to mid 20th century, the offshoot of the, the Round Table Secret Society in London, spreading out around the world, um, spinning out webs, spinning out webs, tentacles, other uh, subsidiaries, think tanks, you'll know their names, the Institute of Economic Affairs. You'll know the names of these think tanks. You will see members of these think tanks on national television and you will hear them on national radio pretty much all the time. And elected officials, but really before they are elected, are fed these policies and these ideas by these organisations. This is how it happens. This is why I've spent the best part of the last 10 years and beyond trying to explain to people that they don't live in a democratic country, that there isn't any such thing as democracy. They live in a fascist state. Politicians don't have any say, they don't have any sway, they have no control over what goes on inside the country they operate in. They're patsies, every single one of them. That's what you'll never hear on the new independent media as given to the world by the architects of these agendas. Your talk radios and, 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 and others where, where it seems like there's opposition to 
the cabal, where you get the occasional mention of the World Economic Forum, where you get guests on criticising lockdowns and and criticising vaccine mandates, but they never criticise the vaccines. They never talk about the harms being caused by the vaccines. They never talk about these not-so-secret societies which are pushing the transhumanist depopulation climate change agendas which, which, which from my perspective at the moment look irreversible. You'll never hear any of that talk because the starting point of talk radio, the starting point of GB News and its guests is that democracy is good, it's just we have the wrong politicians in at the moment. That's a lie. It's a huge lie. I think most of them, particularly the more experienced presenters, are well aware that it's a lie. They know the score, as do many of their guests, but they keep telling that lie. You know, we need to get rid of Boris. Uh, yeah, maybe Sunak, yeah. Maybe one of those backbenchers, Steve Baker. Maybe one of those COVID recovery group guys. You know, that guy, that, that guy, get him in, get him in. That guy, yeah, he's, he's more for freedom. That guy. He's, he's more of a liberal. He's more of a conservative with the values of conservatism. Small government. Government with a small C. Let people keep more of their money. Anti-taxation. He's a good guy. Put him in. That's what they push. Your talk radio and your GB news. And every country has its own fake alternative news. This took on a life of its own during the COVID scam. I see people coming out of nowhere. Calvin, is it Robinson? The, the black uh, chap who, I believe, was in the news in recent days because he wanted to be ordained. Ella Whelan, spiked. Brendan, Brendan, I can't think of the guy's name, uh, spiked online. Brendan O'Neill, all of these people. Toby Young. These are freedom-loving people. And they were held up as the independent voices against lockdowns and tyranny when they were anything but... Gatekeepers. It's so simple, isn't it? But in the digital age, in the age of social media, in the age of Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, Google, YouTube, it's very difficult to fight against it. Not that I want to fight against it, but I'd like people to be more aware of it, of what's going on. When they jump on board with these new Z-list celebrities who are complaining about lockdown, and they share their material and they're delighted. Oh, it's brilliant. Look at him. Look at that guy, James, whatever his name is. Pippa, uh, Laura, Dodsworth, whatever. Brilliant. No, no, no. Their establishment to the core. To the core. To their bone marrow. I'm not saying that their horror, their being, their being aghast at lockdown isn't genuine. I'm not saying that. But they'll tell you it's just the wrong government. That's the problem. We have the wrong government. Yet Starmer is the wrong government. But if we could just get, I don't know, as I said, one of these more conservative Tories to the forefront of the party, everything will be okay. It's nonsense. We live in a fascist super state. The UK is not a democracy. It's a constitutional monarchy. I've talked about this many times over the years. That's um, the Council on Foreign Relations. One of the roundtable groups, the offshoot of the, of the, um, the, the, the London-based uh, roundtable secret society. And it's a really good window into how countries 
work together and act in lockstep to deal with any given crisis. It's the thing you want to shake people with and ask them, why? Why do you accept it? Why do you think it's just a coincidence or, well, it's just best policy? Why are governments doing the exact same things at the exact same time? Why are they pushing policy? Why are they introducing bills around the world right now that would limit freedom of speech, that would ban, banish, and even, and, and even charge people with crimes who question these agendas. Why is this happening in Ireland? Why is it happening in the UK? Why is it happening in the United States? As Paul Craig Roberts told us last night, at the same time, in lockstep, there's your answer. Politicians don't come up with this shit. Politicians are useful idiots. Patsies. Whores. Carefully chosen for various characteristics, for various personality uh, traits. Because they can be bribed. They can be owned. They can be coerced. They can be compromised. That's where the intelligence agencies come in. Check it out. The Perception Deception, David Icke, 2013. This is your Richie Allen Show. It's Thursday, the 26th of May, 2022. I'm the BBG. I am the BBG. I'm the BBG, I said. This is Green Day. When I come around from Green Day, from the album Dookie. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, thanks so much for your messages, for your comments. I appreciate them, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live on the menu bar. Leslie says, Mark Stain on GB News has been talking about vaccine injuries and has interviewed a few widows and victims of the vaccine over the last two to three weeks. It's been very good, says Leslie. Thank you, Leslie. Hi to Colin G. How are you doing, Colin? Banjo says, these pot wipes that keep pontificating about how the world should be and how we should be are so arrogant, but all their ideas don't include them or their families and friends. It's a good point. The solutions they proffer, they exclude themselves from participating in these solutions. After they have done away with all of us, who will they turn to then? To then, asks Banjo. I to Brambo, to Caroline Feely. Craig writes, it could be argued that the concept of the sovereign nation state is largely a myth. In principle, Catholic nations are fealty states of Rome and the European empires, Britain in particular, has been stomping over nation states for centuries. Just because Rome and Britain, for example, are no longer being overt about it, doesn't mean that they are not doing it. Rhodes was an internationalist who believed that the world should be controlled according to the British model. And what do we see? Influencers largely coming from Oxford, Rhodes Scholarships London, LSE, UCL, etc., and uh, Cambridge, or connected to such through various other networks. Do I know for sure? Asks Craig. He says, of course not, but it is interesting. It is interesting, indeed. Angela says, Richie, you're right, there's no point in government. It's a waste of space, and it is dangerous. Uh, Thanks for that, Angela. Appreciate it. Alan says he would categorise the country, or countries like the UK, as more corporatist, rather than traditional fascist. They have taken that and expanded it 
with eugenics at its core. Nelly says it's important for a bit of revision, Richie. No harm in it, I suppose, Nelly. Every now and then. Richard says it will probably sanction a country like Ireland of wheat or oil. That's Richard there. Countries to be sanctioned. If, if a country is to be punished for doing something for itself that adversely affects another state, sanctions, Richard reckons. You're probably right, Richard. Hi to Grumpy Cat, who says, I had a strange experience on the way home from work today. A guy was standing at the roundabout holding a don't extradite, extradite Assange sign. I told my colleague who was driving that I agreed with the message. She didn't know what I was talking about. She didn't know who Assange is or what WikiLeaks is. I realised how disconnected those who get their news from the MSM are from the rest of us. It's like we're living in different countries, if not different planets. Yeah. Yeah. That's strange. You, you, you don't mind your average person not having... I don't know, minute details about current news stories. You don't mind that. But not knowing who Assange is, that's a level of ignorance that, yes, it's pretty shocking, really. That is someone who never, ever picks up a newspaper or ever watches a news bulletin. Don't accuse me of hypocrisy. I'm not saying they should. But I think know thine enemy. It's one of the reasons I watch. Hi to Martin in Spain. Thank you for your comments there. Loads of comments. To interact with other commenters, go to richieallen.co.uk, comment live. The time is 20 minutes to 6 o'clock. How time flies when I'm boring the living bejesus out of you. Yeah, yeah. and that's for the World Economic Forum, eh? That's another offshoot, kind of, of the groups we mentioned earlier on. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about the World Economic Forum, but I won't for now. I'll leave it till next week. I was only going to remind you of what you already know. Basically, some of the criticisms that have been levelled at uh, the World Economic Forum over the years. Um, you know, its plutocratic nature, its goals using climate change and pandemics, basically, to disguise its goals, which is ultimately to... Look, we don't live in a democracy. We live in the illusion of one. But the World Economic Forum would, if, 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 if its agenda prevails, it would remove the democratic model and replace it with a model where a group of people they call stakeholders would make decisions on behalf of the population. That's the scariest thing. You, you hear that all the time. You read that all the time when it comes to the World Economic Forum. Replace democratic models with a new model where stakeholders, by the way, self-selected stakeholders, would make decisions on behalf of the people concerning things like pandemics, yeah, and particularly climate change. Very interesting. Um, what have I got to tell you? Uh, I don't know. I've got to tell you, uh, Ted Cruz, yeah. You know, talk about the media often over the years on the programme, how the media operates, the intricacies of broadcasting, production, how they do it, how they manage to pull the wool over people's eyes, their habits, their, their idiosyncrasies, the things that if you didn't know, if they weren't explained to you, you, you probably wouldn't observe. This is how the media does it. 
But but an interesting thing has happened in recent years, and we can hear an example of it. I'll, we'll, we'll play the example, and then I won't talk for very long about it. In fact, I might not talk at all about it, because it's something we've covered before, but it's interesting. Ted Cruz. Uh, you'll know that uh, 21 people are dead after a school shooting in Uvalde in Texas, and a guy called Salvador Ramos has been blamed for it. He was shot dead by the police um, after they eventually entered the building. Because there is an interesting story, which I've seen in a, in a couple of places today, a story that claims the police were very slow or very reluctant initially to enter the building, giving the guy around 40 minutes to do what it is they say he did, which is to fire on children and teachers. Let me read this from the BBC. It might make more sense. Uh, Police were urged to charge into a deadly school shooting in Texas by onlookers, witnesses say, with one suggesting he considered doing so himself as he became frustrated. Texas officials say gunman Salvador Ramos was inside the school in Ovalde for up to an hour before he was killed. 19 children, two adults died while 17 others were injured. Eyewitness Juan Carranza told the Associated Press that women shouted at officers to go in there. But the 24-year-old who witnessed the scene at the Rob Elementary School from outside his house said police did not enter. Javier Cazares, whose daughter was killed in the attack, told the news agency he suggested running in with other onlookers because the police were not doing anything. Authorities said the gunman locked himself in a classroom, which officers then struggled to gain access to. How? How was it possible they couldn't get into the room? Um, I'm only playing devil's advocate here. I have no idea. Talked a little bit about this last night. Tony Gosling said they should have shot the guy in the arm or the leg or with a dart to tranquilise him or tase him to, uh, to contain him so that we could study these guys and find out what makes them uh, tick. Some listeners uh, on Comment Live and in subsequent emails said Tony was to- talking through his arse. If a guy's shooting at people, you just shoot him dead. You don't try and, you know, contain him. Not when there are children still running around and teachers. So, I'm asking the question, I'm not saying that I have any evidence, you know, to support my contention, but how could they not get in? He locked himself in a classroom, they couldn't get in. Did he put a chair under the doorknob? I mean, don't they have these massive battering rams? Oh, they mightn't have had one handy. Well, hang on a second, there were 60 or 70 police cars there. Surely they could have gotten in. Anyway, Stephen McGraw, as the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, told a news conference yesterday that the gunman was on site for between 40 minutes and an hour before law enforcement were able to contain him. And yet we see sometimes, not all the time, we see law enforcement groups turning up to people's houses, people who are suspected of having, I don't know, cannabis or, 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 or methamphetamine, they turn up and they're like the military, aren't they? They have stun grenades, assault weapons, they've got everything. And yet they're saying it took them 40 minutes to an hour to get to this man. I don't know what the truth is. 
and I hate those so-called journalists and presenters in the independent media who tried to stitch it all together and tell you what did happen. I haven't a clue. That doesn't read well, though. Not good. Mark Stone is a Sky reporter. He's based in America for Sky. And he caught up with Ted Cruz yesterday, the governor of Texas, at an auditorium in Uvelde, where they were holding a vigil for the dead, for the children and the teachers. Now, this exchange you are going to hear says a lot about the relationship between the media and public figures in 2022. You might have seen this today or heard it. I think it's fascinating. Have a listen. There are 19 sets of parents. Excuse me, the first voice you hear is Ted Cruz, the governor, uh, the Republican governor of Texas. There are 19 sets of parents who, who are never going to get to kiss their child goodnight again. Is this the moment to reform gun laws? You know, it's, it's easy to go to politics. But it's important. It's at the heart of the issue. I, I get that that's where the media likes to go. No, it's not. It's where many of the people we've talked to here like to go. The proposals from Democrats in the media, inevitably, when some violent psychopath murders people... A violent psychopath who's able to get a weapon so easily. 18-year-old with two AR-15s. If you want to stop violent crime. The proposals the Democrats have, none of them would have stopped this. But why does this only happen in your country? I really think that's what many people around the world just, they cannot fathom. Why only in America? Why is this American exceptionalism so awful? This is a good question and it's, it's fair by the guy Mark Stone. It's, it's, it's fair. You know, they have guns in other countries. It seemingly only happens in yours. Why is that? Why can a guy with seemingly, seemingly so many psychological issues, why is it so easy for him to get a deadly gun? These are fair questions. Now, I know there are listeners to this programme in the United States who, who value the Second Amendment. Is it the Second Amendment? I think it's the Second Amendment. And I know there are listeners to this programme in the US who have guns and they are, I'm, I'm sure they are completely safe in having guns. I'm being the devil's advocate here. Just listen to this. Awful. You know, I'm sorry you think American exceptionalism is awful. I think I, this I think, aspect, I think, I think this I, aspect you know of it. You've got your political agenda. No, it's God, honestly... God love you. Senator, it's You've got your political agenda, said the governor of Texas, and walks away from the reporter. It's not. I just want to understand why you do not think that guns are the problem. Why is this just an American problem? It is just an American problem, sir. Mr. Cruz, why is America the only country that faces this kind of you know what? mass shooting? But you can't answer that. You can't answer that, can you, sir? You can't answer that. Why you know, is this country... Why is it that people come from all over the world to America? Because it's the freest, most prosperous, safest country on Earth. Maybe may the freest, it may be the most... Why are our kids dying in <laughs> He called them propagandists and he stormed out of the room. I thought he was going to break into a chorus of America from the jazz singer there. Why is it that people come from all over the world to America? I don't know. Do they? Do people still come from all over the world to America? Getting into America is like getting a camel through the eye of a needle, isn't it? I don't mean to go to America for a holiday, but to go and live there. Right? Anyhow, you see that there, that, that, that type of exchange, we, we first saw that when Donald Trump was running for president, didn't we? And then we saw it more and more after Trump was... Pro I'm not blaming Trump now uh, for this. I I'm saying we began to see this.
where a public figure could insult a reporter, call him or her a propagandist with a political agenda, and then walk away without answering the legitimate question that had been posed. And that's not a right or a left-wing thing. It's not exclusively... Um, that isn't ex- that, that behaviour isn't exclusive to conservatives or those on the alt-right of politics. You see it a lot with so-called liberal or lefty politicians as well. It's a really, really new thing. Now, I'm not saying the press is free in 2022. I'm not saying that Sky News is any good or its reporters. I'm not. It's the only press we have. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not fit for purpose. It's redundant, the idea that we have a free press that holds authority to account. That whole notion is redundant anyway. But this is taking it a step further. So you have politicians now who will go on to podcasts, will go on to radio and television shows where the host is on board with that politician's agenda and they will ignore journalists or reporters who would challenge them on their views, just ignore them by accusing them of being propagandists and accusing them of pushing their own political agenda. And when you think we've discussed on this programme quite a bit how in the UK in particular, they are giving radio shows and podcasts to politicians where they can broadcast to large numbers of people their own ideologies without ever being challenged on them or without ever having to actually answer a question. Again, don't um, for a minute think that I've lost my marbles and that I'm suggesting that Sky or the BBC or CNN or Fox you know, are doing a good job and that the politicians are running scared from them. I'm not. This is very complex, but it's very interesting, isn't it? Just wouldn't have happened when I came into the media. It wouldn't have happened. A public figure wouldn't have dared to throw back in the face of a reporter that he or she was fake news or, you know, bringing their own idealistic, ideological even, uh, agenda to the party. That's why you're challenging me, because you're a propagandist. They wouldn't have gotten away with it. These are sometimes. These are scenes. Scenes we're seeing. It's uh, exactly seven minutes to the top of the hour. This is The Richie Allen Show. I'm live from Salford, as I always am. So let's stay for a moment, just for a moment, not for too long. The shooting in, in Uvelde in Texas, if I've pronounced that correctly. I said earlier on we'd hear a bit from Tucker Carlson on Fox News. This is um, from a broadcast last evening on Fox. Carlson makes the point that less families have guns now than previously had guns. Tucker Carlson is saying that guns are not specifically the problem. He isn't saying that guns are not the problem. He's saying that anger is a problem and that violent crime not involving guns is on the rise. Um, Fights, altercations that turn physically violent between people, rage, assaults, larceny, Problems in schools, 
with children fighting where it is escalated to the point that, you know, it needs to, it results in a suspension or an exclusion or even the police getting involved. Rage, anger, what's going on? Now, I have some sympathy with what Tucker Carlson is saying. Don't um, mistake that for me saying I agree with him. I'm not saying that at all. I have some sympathy with him talking about rage amongst, uh, amongst people. Now, I went through my teens and my 20s. You did as well. And if you're a man who went through your teens or your 20s, you'll remember being angry. Anger is something you go through as a young man. You're angry with your parents. You're angry with your school. You're angry with your life. Right? Your circumstances. You're angry. You're going through puberty, adolescence. Anger. And as a young man, you might get into scrapes. You might have gone out on the town in your teens. I wasn't much of a drinker when I was in my teens. I really wasn't. In fact, I was much older when I began to uh, to take a drink. But But my mates were going out 15, 16 you know, managing to get into nightclubs by bribing bouncers, drinking lager, and then you'd have a roll around on the cobblestones at the end of the night. You know, bit of a fight, like, bit of a scrap. That's kind of a rite of passage thing. You grow out of it. And you're embarrassed by it. You know, I wasn't involved in any of that. Never had a fight outside a nightclub in my life. But I witnessed it. I observed it. I dragged many a mate away from it. Carson is saying there's something else going on now with um, men, with young men, maybe some young women. And guns and access to guns is not just simply the problem as to why we are seeing these shootings in America. And he kind of gets into it here, and I think this is worth a listen. It's kind of interesting. Tucker Carson, Fox News yesterday. It didn't used to happen. It's happening now. Why? It's not guns. It's not the gun lobby. More American families had guns at home 50 years ago than they do now, according to the Rand Corporation, which studied this. He's actually right there. I double-checked this today. 50 years ago, more families had guns in the home than do today. That's, that's an interesting statistic, isn't it? When you watch the media coverage of the shooting in the school in Texas and the shooting in the shopping centre last week, it's an interesting one. There are not as many guns in homes as were previously. So the American people are not the bunch of gun nuts that they are portrayed to be in the rest of the world's media. So what's going on? 45% of American homes had a gun in 1980. In 2016, that had dropped to 32%. So the problem is not that we're more armed than we were. The problem is that people have changed. Young men have changed. They're more violent. Why? That's the bipartisan conversation we need to have now. And that conversation has been drowned out by lunatic attention seekers who are hoping to win the next election. But we don't need them now. Never mind your election. There's something really wrong. And we can figure it out if we try. There are probably a lot of causes. The use of antidepressants in this country is increasing dramatically. Between 1991 and 2018, total SSRI consumption increased in the U.S. by more than 3,000%. That's, in, that's incredible, that. And, and that's true. I don't have a producer, editor, assistant. I don't. But I'm trying to get the figures for the U.K. and Ireland. 
This is hugely important. There are probably a lot of causes. The use of antidepressants in this country is increasing dramatically. Between 1991 and 2018, total SSRI consumption increased in the U.S. by more than 3,000%. 3,000%. Remember, these are supposed to reduce mental illness. Now, that's a real stat. It was published by the medical journal Science of the Total Environment. And it's not just this country. In Canada, state-funded antidepressant prescriptions for young people doubled over the last decade. Then, during the lockdowns, SSRI prescriptions increased even more. A pharmacy group called Express Scripts reported that antidepressant prescriptions went up by more than 20% during COVID. According to the latest figures, more than 40 million Americans are now taking psychoactive drugs. That's roughly one in 10. So again, the point of these drugs is to make you healthier mentally, to reduce suicide and violence. And yet suicide rates and rates of violence are spiking. Now, we don't know that that's causation, but it's worth looking at. Yeah. Of course, it's immoral to criticize big pharma, but could we use an honest conversation about this? Yes. Yes. This is good, this. And it's good, I think, where he takes it next. Immediately. Clearly something's going on. Watch. Three major medical associations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics. This is a report. He, he links to a report, which I think is from CNN. And it's about psycho, uh, it's about antidepressant drugs and antipsychotic drugs. Watch. Three major medical associations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, have together declared a national state of emergency in children's mental health caused by COVID. Parents report grief. Oh yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, this is even better. They're talking about what COVID has done to children, to their minds. Three major medical associations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, have together declared a national state of emergency in children's mental health caused by COVID. Parents report grief, anxiety, and depression among children citing school closures and forced isolations as the primary culprits. Suicide attempts among adolescents are rising sharply, most acutely among 12 to 17-year-old girls, by 51% since the start of the pandemic. Oh, so the lockdowns dramatically increase the incidence of mental illness among young people, and in 10 days we've seen two mass shootings by mentally ill young people. Could there be a connection? Now, that's not finger-pointing. It's not to blame Fauci for yesterday's shooting. We're not that low. We're not Joe Biden. Mm. But if people are becoming mentally ill because they're disconnected from others, what can we do to connect them to others and thereby reduce the incidence of mental illness? That's a real conversation. Is there a more important one? No. And as I've been speaking to you, uh, Craig, who listens, has sent a link to Statista.com, which uh, the, link, link, the link leads to a graphic that seems to show that Consumption of antidepressants in the UK has risen starkly from 2005 to 2015. So the use or the prescription of such antidepressants is on the rise in the UK. Now, I'd like to see that juxtaposed with a chart showing the increase in population in the UK in the last uh, 20 years also. It would be interesting to juxtapose that. The rate of usage of anti the rate of antidepressant prescription alongside population growth but uh, i still i i imagine it will still show a pretty steep rise even when you factor in the difference in the population a steep growth in prescription prescriptions of antidepressants so that's good stuff 
Uh, Craig's link is on live comment at richieallen.co.uk. This is good stuff by Carlson. He's asking the question. He's not telling you the answer. Could it be linked? So if, so, so wonder, quite rightly wonder how somebody who's very, very unwell could get a semi-automatic weapon. That's a fair question. Whether you're a big, big fan of guns or not, if you've got an ounce of humanity in your body, you will say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, I get your arguments. I believe you when you say that your government and previous governments wants to disarm you. I believe you. I believe you. And if a responsible citizen wants to have a gun, fair enough. I have no problem with that. But I asked Paul Craig Roberts last night, is enough being done to prevent unwell people getting a gun? Now, Carson, Tucker Carson is kind of saying here, he's not really saying it, but he's opening the door to a more important question. Why are so many people screwed up? That's the question. Why are so many people in a bad place, in a very bad place, to the point where they need to be prescribed that sort of medication? And could the medication be making people worse? These are good questions. He then goes on to talk about the role of big tech and screen time might be playing in the mental well-being of younger people. Now, what kind of mindset would it take to go murder children in an elementary school? You are so disconnected from other human beings that that seems okay to you. What could be adding to the feeling of disconnection we have from one another? Well, in 2020, adults in the United States spent an average of eight hours every day on digital media, staring at a screen. The lockdowns made it worse. They're not the only cause, but they definitely exacerbated it. That's a 20% jump from 2019. One of the people who spent an awful lot of time online during the pandemic was the shooter in Uvalde. He reportedly played a lot of Call of Duty instead of going outside. He played a lot of Call of Duty. Now, my great friend and supporter, Hayden Hewitt, if he was here, Hayden would jump in there. Hayden was a fantastic opponent of the banning of so-called video nasties back in the 1980s. I think I've shared this with you before. In fact, I, I know I have. So you remember I Spit on Your Grave, awful, awful film with a horrendous premise. Girl gets raped and then comes back and brutally murders all of the rapists. I mean, it's just shit, basically, right? Then you had Driller Killer and stuff like that and, and other zombie flesh eaters and Cannibal Holocaust. Now, Hayden said, and he was right, that there was no legitimate link between people watching those movies or films and becoming violent or becoming unwell. And he was right. He said uh, a hundred million times, there's an exaggeration, that children should not have seen those films, but that the government shouldn't deny uh, an adult, shouldn't say to an adult, this film is unfit for you, you shouldn't watch it uh, because it's harmful. And he was right, he was 100% right. Now, Hayden would say the same, I'm guessing. I must invite him on to talk about it because it's very interesting. Carlson has just said there that the young man spent a lot of time on screens and he played a violent video game called Call of Duty. 19. One of the people who spent an awful lot of time online during the pandemic was the shooter in Uvalde. He reportedly played a lot of Call of Duty instead of going outside. 
The shooter in Buffalo also spent a lot of time online as well. In fact, he blamed the Internet for radicalizing him. Yeah. So, so Hayden might say, listen, it's ridiculous. It's, it's absolute bunkum. I'm not sure he would use the word bunkum. But to suggest that watching the video game could negatively impact or, on the man's psyche or could contribute towards him descending into madness. I'm not as convinced as Hayden. Because there's a big difference, and we've had guests speak on the programme on this, experts, not recently, but over the years, who said there is a huge difference between sitting on a sofa and watching something on a television screen. There's a massive difference between doing that and playing a video game online in terms of the effect that each individual act, each act has on the brain and on the, physi the physiology of the brain and on the chemical interactions in the brain. Maybe he has a point here. Maybe there is something to spending eight, nine hours a day on screens impacting on people's behaviour, but also playing these games, these dreadful games, which are more and more... I mean, I played some of these games years ago before they were, were as sophisticated as they are now, I would never spend more than a half an hour, 40 minutes playing a game. It would never be consecutive days. That's because of, I was never a big gamer. But I played Operation Medal Freedom or whatever you want to call these games years ago. I played the one where it was set in the South Pacific. You're the American fighter and you're going through these levels. And I enjoyed them. And I think we, we thought the graphics were pretty spectacular at the time. But they're nothing compared to what they are today. They are incredibly immersive. That's the word I was looking for. And when you watch The Driller Killer or any cannibal holocaust, those banned films, those were not immersive experiences. They might have been disturbing films. There's one particularly disturbing scene that's pretty horrifying in Cannibal Holocaust. Disturbing. You wouldn't want to see a child sitting in front of that. But they were not immersive. Whereas the internet, your, your iPhone, your Samsung Galaxy, S22, whatever it is, they are immersive. They're drawing you in, in a way the television, watching VHS videos or, or, or Blu-rays, don't do. That's what he's getting at. Yeah. I spent almost a year planning this attack, he wrote on April 26th. Oh, how time flies. If I could go back, maybe I'd tell myself to get the F off 4chan and the World Truth videos and get an actual life. Too late for that now. Now, that's not an argument for censoring those or any other sites. It's an argument for experiencing real life, nature, other people, animals, anything but a screen. Staring at a screen all day puts you into your own world, and in some small number of cases, it drives you insane. It makes you mentally ill and violent. That's very obvious. That's one of the reasons that... It's not very obvious. That's where he left himself down. It was a brilliant monologue until he said it's very obvious. It isn't obvious. It's a possibility. And it should be explored. It won't be. But it isn't obvious. Screen. Staring at a screen all day puts you into your own world. And in some small number of cases, it drives you insane. It makes you mentally ill and violent. That's very obvious. That's one of the reasons that people in Silicon Valley, the tech executives, don't let their own kids lose themselves in their stupid iPads. On their stupid iPads. I'm willing to bet that he's got some sort of smart device on his person as he's doing that monologue. That's very interesting. Okay. 
worry about why a man with mental difficulties, emotional difficulties, can get it going by all means. But let's start asking, why are so many people so screwed up? Abdel says, thank you for your comment, Abdel. Violent games don't make people violent, but if you have a predilection to violence, you will gravitate towards those games. I love playing Fallout, which is a violent post-apocalyptic shooter. It's brilliant, says Abdel. Thanks for your comment, mate. I appreciate it. Monk says, I lived in the USA from 2000 to 2010. I've never seen or heard of so many kids on medication. Under 20s, pilled up. Excuse me. Voice is going. He says, under 20s, pilled up on antidepressants and ADHD medication. Um, Adderall was passed around freely in a university I was working at. Kids would take this to pull all-nighters and do exams. There are some great documentaries about the problem of medications and kids. Uh, They then go on to professional jobs and they can't perform without these amphetamine-based meds. It's now spreading to kids up here in Canada. I've had a doctor tell me over Zoom I may have ADHD. He suggested medication. It's out of control, the pushing of the meds. Good comment, Monk. Thank you. Jenny says there was even more violence in centuries past when there was no telly, no films, and most people couldn't read. I think it's something inherent, perhaps, in certain people. Thanks for that, Jenny. Alan says he played Call of Duty even way too much. I never had an inkling to go get armed to the tits to shoot anyone, says Alan. Good man, Alan. This is your Richie Allen show. The time is only 12 minutes past six o'clock with me, Richie Allen. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. That is Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder, and Alive on the Richie Allen Show, 1991, I think. It's quarter past six. Let me mention once again my great friend, and I don't say great friend lightly when I use that term, uh, when, when I use that term, I, I mean it. Uh, Mark Boyersky. Mark was on the programme earlier in the week and he said for the next few weeks, if someone goes to markboyersky.com and they purchase an e-book there, he will give the proceeds, all of it, to The Richie Allen Show. That's a wonderful thing. markboyersky.com. You've heard Mark on the programme before. He's a terrific guy. Great supporter of the independent media. His YouTube channel is a must-watch too. It really is. Uh, I check it out all the time. Go to markboyersky.com. Check out Mark Boyersky on YouTube. And thanks to him again. If you buy an e-book on the website between now, uh, I think three or three and a half weeks' time from now, he'll send that money to this programme. How cool is that? Can't thank him enough for doing it. Thank you, markboyersky.com. Craig got back on to me. Thanks, Craig. He says, from the statistic page, the, the graph we spoke of displays the, the consumption of antidepressants in the UK from, 20, from 2007 to 2017. The defined daily dosage of antidepressants in the UK almost doubled in this period and amounted to 107.9 per 1,000 inhabitants per day in 2017. So yes, they have taken population growth into account. Of course, they have. Yes, it's off the off the charts. Do you know? Listen, I know there are people who listen to this programme and they don't think that... They don't think the talk therapy is any good. I've had that. I've once or twice, not too often, 
because I don't like to bore you. But I've once or twice over the years talked about my own experience with talk therapy, which was very helpful for me. It's not easy to find a counsellor or a psychotherapist, you know, where, where there is no drugs, where it's just talk. It's not easy. It takes a while sometimes to find the right one for you who can push your buttons and put you into places and challenge you and make you vulnerable to really look at yourself and how you can ultimately help yourself. But there are people who listen to this programme and, and listen, I respect all opinions. They say they have no time for talk therapy. It's all load of bollocks or it's sinister or whatever. I tell you what, it's not as sinister as prescribing people antidepressants. You know, as a matter of habit, which is what many GPs do. Absolute epidemic of antidepressant prescription. No doubt it's the same in, in Ireland and around Europe. The pharmaceutical companies laugh all the way to the bank and it destroys people's lives. And inevitably, somebody will come on now and say, oh, Richie, I used antidepressants and they worked for me. I'm, I'm sure they did. But it, increasingly, I don't know if these drugs are changing, if the chemical compounds in these drugs are changing, but it seems that these drugs are not helping large numbers of people. They're not just making things worse for them, but in some cases they're turning people violent. These are the questions. It's good stuff, that. Yes, okay, not to repeat myself too much today. Yes, okay, find out why it's easy for somebody who's unwell to get a gun. You know, let, let's do that. Um... But also let's find out why people are unwell to begin with. Why have you got so much mental illness? Why is it on the increase? Diane says, SSRIs are perception-altering drugs. Anyone who is on them should not have a gun of any sort until they are off them and are given a clean bill of mental health. When I was a kid in Wales, says Diane, there were lots of guns around, but no shootings at all. It's obvious to me, says Diane. And Diane, I think Paul Craig Roberts made that very point on the programme last night. We had lots of guns around when I was a young man, but nobody was taking those guns into schools or shopping malls and shooting people dead for no good reason. That's the point he made. Ian says the normalisation of divorce slash broken homes, the sexualization of everything through TV, porn, etc., the breakdown of discipline in the education system due to political correctness and the litigious culture, all of these are factors. There's no one cause, says Ian, but all of it fits, or, or all of it suits one goal. Order ab chaos, order from chaos, says Ian. Thanks, Ian. Bruce says it would probably be a good idea to establish what meds these people are taking and which psychiatrists they are seeing, and which police department are okaying the firearms licences to the individuals. That's a good point as well. Some smashingly good, bright and well-thought-out comments today, dear listeners. Shambhala says, I imagine the school shooter was on some form of antidepressants slash anxiety medication. They induce fits of homicidal rage and suicidal ideation. In some people, Shambhala, in some people, seemingly, but not in everyone. Because a lot of people are prescribed these drugs. Diane hinted at it there. But not every person prescribed with those drugs goes on a homicidal um, 
rampage. You know? Keep those comments coming in for a few more minutes. I'm with you for a few more minutes, and then I will be taking my leave of you today. Thanks for tuning in. Shall I give a plug to Sunday Morning Melodies? Shall I? 10 o'clock to midday Sundays, every Sunday. Music programme. Nothing like this programme. Chilled, relaxed, old tunes, some modern tunes, few stories, bit of crack. Isabel says, Richie, do not forget that Mark also mentioned on the show that anyone buying the ebook from him um, in the next few weeks on the website will also automatically be entered into a draw to win a Maldivite pendant. Thanks for reminding me of that, Isabel. That's correct. As well as buying an ebook where the proceeds go to the Richie Allen Show on markbyerski.com, Mark will enter you into a draw to win a Maldivite pendant. That's uh, wonderful. Thanks for the reminder. I'm a bit of an idiot. Uh, Claire, I'm a bit of an idiot. Claire says, Richie, it's almost like the white coats are trying to medicate the human experience out of existence. Grief is now depression and so on. Excellent point. That's an excellent point. Excellent. I read an article in the Telegraph. Maybe it was the Times. It was last year. I definitely read it out on this programme. And the, the article, which I could probably dig out because I am a Telegraph subscriber, and I subscribe to the Times, just in case. And the Guardian gets a couple of bob off me every month. I hate it, but I give it anyway. Uh, because that's the way I that's the way I roll. Very good, uh, Claire. I think it was the Telegraph last year. There was a very interesting article about how it is becoming more and more common for someone to be prescribed antidepressants uh, to cope with the loss of a loved one. That is very wrong. Grief withdrawal into oneself, crying a lot, loss of appetite, isolating yourself. This is normal when the love of your life or somebody very close to you passes away. You've got to work through it. And for millennia, we worked through it. With the aid of our friends and family, we got over it. But now they're medicating life experiences that's right, Claire. Life experiences are being medicated. No doubt. William asks, it's a good question, I wonder often how some GPs can live with themselves. William, ching ching, I would guess. Dave, the nurse, says, I hope people are drinking distilled water because all of this stuff is in the drinking water. This is a brilliant, brilliant point. And I thought of it a moment ago, Dave, and then I didn't say it, but it did occur to me during one of the clips. Thank you for reminding me. If you're drinking tap water, those who are being medicated up to the wazoo with antipsychotic medication and antidepressants, they are pissing it down the toilet and it is getting into our water supply. That's a fact. We know this with, with hormones and we know this with antibiotics, a huge problem. Good point, Dave. Distill your water. Philip says, Richie, my take is always this. Qui bono? Who benefits? The controllers want the USA disarmed. They found themselves a loony patsy. Give him the tools. Help him get into the scene. They gave him space to do his worst. Then he gets a bullet. End of story. Screaming headlines. Gun control says, Philip, thanks for that. Philip, you might be right. I don't know, pal. But it's feasible. You should have. Alan, piss right off. I'll play whatever I want to play. Good man. Thank you, Alan, for that. Right, that's kind of nearly it for today, really. 
Um, thanks for bearing with me for most of the last 90 minutes. Um, just before I go, a couple of quick more comments. Chris and Emma says, Richie, we have two boys, 11 and 12. They play four tonight with their mates online. They love it. What makes me chuckle is that they insult each other online, calling each other gay. <laughs> Some things never change. That's just gay. We would have said that too, yeah. When I was younger, when I was 15, I would tease my friend Pat, not knowing that Pat um, was gay and is gay. I didn't know. Um, but Pat would be... Uh, uh, he wasn't especially effeminate, Pat, not at all, but he had um, he was more in touch with his feminine side. He was more sensitive than the rest of us, but not, not effeminate especially. And I would have teased him by calling him gay, which probably wasn't nice for him. But um, but then I learned he was gay. And obviously, there was no problem whatsoever. But yeah, we, we did say those things. That's just bloody gay. Gay boy and all that sort of crap. But sure, look. Beaver says, Boats don't sink on the open ocean and result in catastrophe because of just one cause or event. It is usually a combination and culmination of causes, events that result in the catastrophe. Good point, Beaver Bill. Watch Seconds from Disaster. I love that. It's never one thing that brings down the plane. Lots of things. Lots of things happening. Some in isolation, some in conjunction. Bring down that bloody plane. Very frustrating when you watch Air Crash Investigation. You think, Jesus, if only that hadn't gone wrong. And then if he had seen this, and if only they had done that, a big chain of things. That's right. That's right, Bill. You're making a good point. Contributing factors to mental Illness. Yes, of course, the antipsychotic drugs being prescribed, overly subscribed. But but yes, children glued to screens, children told that they could kill granny, the psychological warfare being waged on children. There are many factors at play or in play when it comes to why people's general mood is not good, why they are broody, why they are fed up, why they are hopeless. It's because there is an agenda at play, which we talk about on this programme, that most of the world is not aware of. At least they are not consciously aware of it. But they are on some level. And that's another contributing factor. These horrible agendas playing out. These totalitarian things happening. You and I know why and where it's going. Lots of other people don't know. But they're upset for some reason they can't put their hands, fingers on. And it's not just depression. It's a lesser form of it in many people. Melancholy. Just a bit fed up. A bit quiet. You know, a bit broody. And it's because of what's happening. But they don't consciously know that. But I believe it's impacting them subconsciously. That's it for Thursday's Richie Allen Show and for the Richie Allen Show for the week. Thanks for being with me all week. Thanks to all my guests. Thanks to you today for your excellent commentary online. I really appreciate that, by the way. You and I will talk again on Sunday morning at 10 UK time for Sunday morning melodies. I'm leaving you with the Bell Stars because I'm in a Tom Cruise frame of mind this week. You'll understand when you hear the song. See you Sunday. Have a great weekend. Look after yourselves and one another. Bye.